Chapter Twelve of Frederick Douglass, a biography by Charles W. Chestnut. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. With the full enfranchisement of his people, Douglass entered upon what may be called the third epoch of his career, that of fruition. Not every worthy life receives its reward in this world, but Douglass, having fought the good fight, was now singled out by virtue of his prominence, for various honors and emoluments at the hands of the public. He was urged by many friends to take up his residence in some southern district and run for Congress, but from modesty or some doubt of his fitness, which one would think he need not have felt, and the consideration that his people needed an advocate at the North to keep alive there the friendship and zeal for liberty that had accomplished so much for his race, he did not adopt the suggestion. In 1860, Douglas moved to Washington, and began, or took over, the publication of the New National Era, a weekly paper devoted to the interests of the colored race. The venture did not receive the support hoped for, and the paper was turned over to Douglas's two oldest sons, Lewis and Frederick, and was finally abandoned in 1874, Douglas having sunk about $10,000 in the enterprise. Later newspapers for circulation among the colored people have proved more successful, and it ought to be a matter of interest that the race, which thirty years ago could not support one publication, edited by its most prominent man, now maintains several hundred newspapers which make their appearance regularly. In 1871, Douglas was elected president of the Freedman's Bank. This ill-starred venture was then apparently in the full tide of prosperity, and promised to be a great lever in the uplifting of the submerged race. Douglas, soon after his election as president, discovered the insolvency of the institution, and insisted that it be closed up. The Negro was in the hands of his friends, and was destined to suffer for their mistakes as well as his own. Other honors that fell to Douglas were less empty than the presidency of a bankrupt bank. In 1870, he was appointed by President Grant, a member of the Santo Domingo Commission, the object of which was to arrange terms for the annexation of the mulatto republic to the Union. Some of the best friends of the colored race, among them Senator Sumner, opposed this step, but Douglas maintained that to receive Santo Domingo as a state would add to its strength and importance. The scheme ultimately fell through, whether for good or ill of Santo Domingo can best be judged when the results of more recent annexation schemes, 1898, Puerto Rico, Guam, the Philippines, Hawaii, and de facto Cuba, became apparent. Douglas went to Santo Domingo on an American man-of-war, in the company of three other commissioners. In his life and times, he draws a pleasing contrast between some of his earlier experiences in traveling, and the terms of cordial intimacy upon which, as the representative of a nation which a few years before had denied him a passport, he was now received in the company of able and distinguished gentlemen. On his return to the United States, Douglas received from President Grant an appointment as member of the Legislative Council, or Upper House of the Legislature, 
of the district of columbia where he served for a short time until other engagements demanded his resignation one of his sons being appointed to fill out his term to this appointment douglas owed the title of honorable subsequently applied to him in eighteen seventy two douglas presided over and addressed a convention of colored men at new orleans and urged them to support president grant for renomination he was elected a presidential elector for new york and on the meeting of the electoral college in albany after grant's triumphant re-election received a further mark of confidence and esteem in the appointment at the hands of his fellow electors to carry the sealed vote to washington douglas sought no personal reward for his services in this campaign but to his influence was due the appointment of several of his friends to higher positions than had ever theretofore been held in this country by colored men when r b hayes was nominated for president douglas again took the stump and received as a reward the honorable and lucrative office of marshal of the united states for the district of columbia this appointment was not agreeable to the white people of the district whose sympathies were largely pro-slavery and an effort was made to have its confirmation defeated in the senate the appointment was confirmed however and douglas served his term of four years in spite of numerous efforts to bring about his removal in eighteen seventy nine the hard conditions under which the negroes in the south were compelled to live led to a movement to promote an exodus of the colored people to the north and west in the search for better opportunities the white people of the south alarmed at the prospect of losing their labor were glad to welcome douglas when he went among them to oppose this movement which he at that time considered detrimental to the true interests of the colored population under the garfield administration douglas was appointed in may eighteen eighty one recorder of deeds for the district of columbia he held this very lucrative office through the terms of presidents garfield and arthur and until removed by president cleveland in eighteen eighty six having served nearly a year after cleveland's inauguration in eighteen eighty nine he was appointed by president harrison as minister resident and consul general to the republic of haiti in which capacity he acted until eighteen ninety one when he resigned and returned permanently to washington the writer has heard him speak with enthusiasm of the substantial progress made by the haitians in the arts of government and civilization and with indignation of what he considered slanders against the island due to ignorance or prejudice when it was suggested to douglas that the haitians were given to revolution as a mode of expressing disapproval of their rulers he replied that a four years rebellion had been fought and two presidents assassinated in the united states during a comparatively peaceful political period in haiti his last official connection with the black republic was at the world's columbian exposition at chicago in eighteen ninety three where he acted as agent in charge of the haitian building and the very credible exhibit therein contained his stately figure which age had not bowed his strong dark face and his head of thick white hair made him one of the conspicuous features of the exposition 
and many a visitor took advantage of the occasion to recall old acquaintance made in the stirring anti-slavery days in eighteen seventy eight he revisited the lloyd plantation in maryland where he had spent part of his youth and an affecting meeting took place between him and thomas ald whom he had once called master once in former years he had been sought out by the good lady who in his childhood had taught him to read nowhere more than in his own accounts of these meetings does the essentially affectionate and forgiving character of douglas and his race become apparent and one cannot refrain from thinking that a different state of affairs might prevail in the southern states if other methods than those at present in vogue were used to regulate the relations between the two races and their various admixtures that make up the southern population in june eighteen seventy nine a bronze bust of douglas was erected in sibley hall of rochester university as a tribute to one who had shed lustre on the city in eighteen eighty two occurred the death of douglas's first wife whom he had married in new york immediately after his escape from slavery and who had been his faithful companion through so many years of stress and struggle in the same year his life and times was published in eighteen eighty four he married miss helen pitts a white woman of culture and refinement there was some criticism of this step by white people who did not approve of the admixture of the races and by colored persons who thought their leader had slighted his own people when he overlooked the many worthy and accomplished women among them but douglas to the extent that he noticed these strictures at all declared that he had devoted his life to breaking down the color line and that he did not know any more effectual way to accomplish it that he was white by half his blood and as he had given most of his life to his mother's race he claimed the right to dispose of the remnant as he saw fit the latter years of his life were spent at his beautiful home known as cedar hill on anacostia heights near washington amid all that which could accompany old age as honor love obedience troops of friends he possessed strong and attractive social qualities and his home formed a mecca for the advanced and aspiring of his race he was a skilful violinist and derived great pleasure from the valuable instrument he possessed a wholesome atmosphere always surrounded him he had never used tobacco or strong liquors and was clean of speech and pure in life he died at his home in washington february twenty eighteen ninety five he had been perfectly well during the day and was supposed to be in excellent health he had attended both the forenoon and afternoon sessions of the women's national council then in session at washington and had been a conspicuous figure in the audience on his return home while speaking to his wife in the hallway of his house he suddenly fell and before assistance could be given he had passed away his death brought forth many expressions from the press of the land reflecting the high esteem in which he had been held by the public for a generation in various cities meetings were held at which resolutions of sorrow and appreciation were passed and delegations appointed to attend his funeral
in the united states senate a resolution was offered reciting that in the person of the late frederick douglass death had borne away a most illustrious citizen and permitting the body to lie in state in the rotunda of the capitol on sunday the immediate consideration of the resolution was asked for mr gorman of maryland the state which douglas honored by his birth objected and the resolution went over douglas's funeral took place on february twenty five eighteen ninety five at the metropolitan african methodist episcopal church in washington and was the occasion of a greater outpouring of colored people than had taken place in washington since the unveiling of the lincoln emancipation statue in eighteen seventy eight the body was taken from cedar hill to the church at half past nine in the morning and from that hour until noon thousands of persons including many white people passed in double file through the building and viewed the body which was in charge of a guard of honor composed of members of a colored camp of the sons of veterans the church was crowded when the services began and several thousands could not obtain admittance delegations one of them a hundred strong were present from a dozen cities among the numerous floral tributes was a magnificent shield of roses orchids and palms sent by the haitian government through its minister another tribute was from the son of his old master among the friends of the deceased present were senator sherman and hoar justice harlan of the supreme court miss susan b anthony and miss may wright sewell president of the women's national council the temporary pallbearers were ex-senator b k bruce and other prominent colored men of washington the sermon was preached by rev j g jennifer john e hutchinson the last of the famous hutchinson family of abolition singers who with his sister accompanied douglas on his first voyage to england sang two requiem solos and told some touching stories of their old-time friendship the remains were removed to douglas's former home in rochester where he was buried with unusual public honors in november eighteen ninety four a movement was begun in rochester under the leadership of j w thompson with a view to erect a monument in memory of the colored soldiers and sailors who had fallen during the civil war this project had the hearty support and assistance of douglas and upon his death the plan was changed and a monument to douglas himself decided upon a contribution of one thousand dollars from the haitian government and an appropriation of three thousand dollars from the state of new york assured the success of the plan september fifteenth eighteen ninety eight was the date set for the unveiling of the monument but owing to delay in the delivery of the statue only part of the contemplated exercises took place the monument complete with the exception of the statue which was to surmount it was formally turned over to the city the presentation speech being made by charles p lee of rochester a solo and chorus composed for the occasion were sung an original poem read by t thomas fortune and addresses delivered by john c dancy and john h smith 
Joseph H. Douglas, a talented grandson of the orator, played a violin solo, and Miss Susan B. Anthony recalled some reminiscences of Douglas in the early anti-slavery days. In June, 1899, the bronze statue of Douglas by Sidney W. Edwards was installed with impressive ceremonies. The movement thus to perpetuate the memory of Douglas had taken rise among a little band of men of his own race. But the whole people of Rochester claimed the right to participate in doing honor to their distinguished fellow citizen. The city assumed a holiday aspect. A parade of military and civic societies was held, and an appropriate program rendered at the unveiling of the monument. Governor Roosevelt of New York delivered an address, and the occasion took on a memorable place in the annals of Rochester, of which city Douglas had said, I shall always feel more at home there than anywhere else in this country. In March, 1895, a few weeks after the death of Douglas, Theodore Tilton, his personal friend for many years, published in Paris, of which city he was then a resident, a volume of sonnets to the memory of frederick douglas from which the following lines are quoted as the estimate of a contemporary and a fitting epilogue to this brief sketch of so long and full a life i knew the noblest giants of my day and he was of them strong amid the strong but gentle too for though he suffered wrong yet the wrongdoer never heard him say the also do I hate. A lover's lay, no dirge, no doleful requiem song, is what I owe him, for I loved him long, as dearly as a younger brother may. Proud is the happy grief with which I sing, for, O oh my country, in the paths of men, there never walked a grander man than he. He was a peer of princes, yea, a king, crowned in the shambles and the prison pen the noblest slave that ever god set free end of chapter twelve recording by kirk ziegler lake placid florida end of frederick douglas a biography by charles w chestnut